I always get happy when I hear this music bed because it means we're getting ready to start another episode of Three Guys Before the Game. But my heart gets doubly happy, triply, quadruply, quintuply happy when our boy is here. It is Three Guys Before the Game, and look who it is. I'm not supposed to be here until June. I know. I How know. did you get me up here in April? Well, I got a busy week. I know. What, what, what yeah, it does. Hey, fix, did fix, you fix your mic. Fix your, come up put, your, put your mic up closer to your there. Oh, yeah. you want you want me to be even louder? I know you're not wearing I'm not headphones. I'm the one that built this thing. Look, it's falling <laughs> apart. Jeez. No, don't start. You guys having budgetary issues here? I thought this show was successful. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, fire is coming. No, out listen, firing. No, no, listen. It is. No, no, no. To his point. To his point. And Brad and I were just talking about this before earlier. It is. The show's incredibly successful. It's the number one podcast in West Virginia. It continues to grow, and Brad and Hoppy and myself are the only three people who aren't making money off of it. <laughs> it sounds like you figured that's out fact. the podcasting uh, formula. Yeah, so that's that's where we came to the conclusion. If you don't recognize the voice by chance, our guest Hello. is Mike Florio. Uh, six six. Don't just don't don't start. Six don't. six two hundred seventy five pound out. all American Central. out of Wheeling Central Catholic <laughs> High School. Joins us. I, th- I mean, you think I'm six six based on where you had this chair set when I came in? <laughs> it was, Good it was, lord! It was a bit high, wasn't My it? My God, who was here? <laughs> I, I thought Will Chamberlain was dead. <laughs> The seat was a bit high when you came in. I knew I knew we had reached too high when your head hit the ceiling. I knew that was like, well, it might, been, might not have been adjusted properly. Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com. It's his busiest week of the entire year. He shouldn't be here. He should I really not, shouldn't be here. He should he should not not be this is here. not good. I'm going to get in trouble. You were People supposed, may be uh, seeing you're going to call like, what, 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 <laughs> wait, you just disappear from your home office draft week? on a Monday of draft that's a, week? That's a good, you like, know. Drafts, you can go head-to-head on picks. Like, you can bet on which pick. Yeah. We should do a head-to-head. Which one takes a call first, Florio or Kerchival? Oh, it'll be it'll be Florio today. You don't think he will? Nah, I mean, he's a ring. Well, I'm keeping, I'm keeping mine. How many phones do you have? Off? I just have one. I Straight up serious? You only have one? Why do, why do you need two? Why do you need two? Well, a lot of people have... Do you bur- have two? No, I have one. Do any of you guys have two? One. One. But coaches, yeah. you know, coaches use burner phones. Well, because I think that... that, I think that if you need two phones, you need to put both phones down for a little bit. I don't think we should be so connected that we should need two phones. I think all your life can be managed by one. That's just my opinion. But I'll tell you who has two phones. Is people who are in government mm-hmm. have two phones. Politicians have two phones. Oh, right. College athletics. Right, because, because they got, they you got... want to keep certain things away from the Freedom of Information Act. Exactly. I get that. Exactly. That's smart. That's smart. <laughs> that part's you, smart. You just put your lawyer hat back on. I, ah, I agree with you there. My client. I agree with you there. And and I, I have known people over the years who have had connections to the NFL, who have also been working for publicly owned mm-hmm. institutions. And I've reminded them that these are conversations that are probably better had through a private email yeah, because, address. And, and, because and, anything that is on that server is subject to... The right request, and it, yeah, so that that makes sense. That's a good reason for it. It's the first good reason I've ever heard for having two phones. Well, yeah, I mean, because college athletics coaches all have two phones, assistant coaches have two phones, administrators have two phones because anything that they say or text on the use on the company phone can be FOIA'd. 
Yeah. And then you, you might have a little bit of a situation. Does my rotor, rotary phone or home count? Is my second <laughs> phone? No, it, you're still good. Do you guys still have home phone lines? Yes. Uh, through, through my cable company, I take that their- That doesn't count. So I'm talking about do old I pay school. Bell, do I pay Bell Atlantic or I'm whatever it is? old school <laughs> no. phone line. No, I have a digital okay. internet-based phone But line. you have a home phone number. I do. Yes. Never left it. Same. I have a home phone number, but no home phone. Yeah. I don't have the actual <laughs> device. Yeah. Wait a minute. You have a home phone number, but not a home phone? Correct. Yeah. I understand. No wonder I can't get in touch with you. <laughs> We've got one because our security system's tied through. Same. Right. And I have one. Once you buy one... It's cheap to have a second line. So I've got a line in my office that I can do because sometimes, even today, despite how advanced the cell technology is and the calls rarely drop, certain radio producers only want to talk to you on a landline. Well, so I've yeah. got for that. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, by the way, three guys before the game brought to us by the Burdett Camping Center, the only warranty forever RV dealer in West Virginia. Visit them at burdettcamping.com by GoMart. We love Reese's. Who doesn't love Reese's? And right now, if you go to the GoMart.com website, GoMart.com slash the number three guys, you can sign up for all of their unbelievable rewards, including a $500 GoMart gift card and a 42-pound Reese cup. That's not confirmed. They'll put it right in the back of your pickup truck. You can drive home with a 42-pound Reese cup, cut it with a chainsaw. Not confirmed. Three guys also brought to us by Comax Business Systems, keeping West Virginia's business data safe, secure, and efficient for 25 years. And Mike is one of the great pontoon boat owners in the state. Lou Wendell Marine Sales in St. Albans. They sell family fun. LouWendellMarineSales.com. Let me just say this. I've been coming here for several years now. That's the longest read of sponsors you've ever had. So, indeed, someone is making money. Oh, yeah. there's no yeah, there's there's people making money off there's this. No there's question. no question. It truly really is. We're in 47 locations across the state with Hoppy's Beer. Um, we've now hosted two live events. The things. Thanks are, for the invitations, by the way. Well, Thanks. You, I appreciate you, it very we'll much. We'll give you the website next time you sign up. We'd love to have you. you, you you're so weird about public appearances. Don't even pretend But that I'd you like would to come. be invited so I can say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, your boy over there, he says yes, and then he leaves early. <laughs> he says yes, and then he, he's out. He's out. This is, is this, I said it's your busiest. This is the busiest week of no, the year. No, it's not. It's not. Free agency is. Second busiest? Traffic-wise, yes, but of any day this week, Monday is the day where, and we spent some time talking about it on our morning show on Peacock, Series XM85 podcast, wherever you get your podcast, PFT Live. Chris Sims and I were talking about this. It's kind of a vacuum You right just now. did it like it a, a NASCAR driver. driver. That's that was right. an absolute NASCAR driver move. I felt... Let's do it again. Like, do it again. No, now, who no, are you, no. No, who are you talking with today? And where were you? How do Chris I Sims, find you? Chris Sims, PFG Live, Sirius XM85, Peacock, Sky Sports Action, if you happen to be in the UK or Ooh, Ireland. So if you have any listeners in the UK or Ireland, they worldwide. can watch we're Sky huge Sports in Australia. Action. And also podcast wherever you get your podcast. So we're kind of in competition. Our podcast is your really. podcast. You're I don't your, get paid by my podcast either. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about busyness. Yeah. And this week, Monday, it's the calm before the calm before the calm before the storm. There's really nothing happening. I was saying all the way in, the biggest indicator of news right now is the betting markets. And that's what's an amazing feature of this legalization of sports wagering. The fact that you get your lean from where things are going based on what 
DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM have the odds at. I mean, that was when it became clear to everyone Bryce Young is going to be the number one overall pick when it went to minus 2,000 that Bryce Young is going to be the first pick. And now Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback, second overall to the Texans. That's boom. That's become gospel now. So somebody's got a source somewhere that said something. Now, we're not allowed to have the inside information as the betters. Right. They have the inside information as the book, and we'll see if it's right. But I was fascinated by that because that's all very recent development, and now it's looking like young Levis, and the draft starts at number three with the Cardinals. These numbers are all over the place, though. That information is moving fast and big swings each day. Is is the hay in the barn for the NFL teams, or are they still processing where they're going on, say, those top five, six picks right now? I think that they're still processing, and there's still factors that come into it. You can get late information that may cause you to change your mind. Mm-hmm. You may get a trade offer that causes you to say, instead of taking this player, we'll move down, and someone else will move into that spot and take a different person. So I don't think any of it's done until – the name is on the card. I mean, even now, not that it's top five, top six work, but I was talking to a coach today who spent the weekend studying film of sixth round safeties. So there's so much, so many prospects, so much you can do, so much information to be gathered. And the folks who do it right don't stop watching film, don't stop gathering information, don't stop looking at that board and deciding where do these guys all fit together. You know, Mike, I was watching a ESPN special over the weekend for a little while, and it was the 84 draft. And that was the one with Marino and Kelly, and those guys was a huge draft. And how much it changed. It was just guys in a – what are you looking at? You were watching a feature on the 84 draft? Yeah. It was fascinating because of who was drafted. Well, he left our event early. Why wouldn't he, he have something to do at home? Yeah, draft exactly. special? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Hobby. Okay, but it ahead. was just like in a, in a ballroom – and a bunch of people really crowded in and old, you know, telephones and a little sign that said like Green Bay Packers or, you know, Detroit Lions and people like smoking cigarettes and got like, <laughs> okay, I got my pick and write it down. And they would have to work their way around the tables and around the photographers to go up and hand it to Pete Rosell. And he, re- I mean, how much it's changed, how it became this gigantic deal when, and that was just when it was just starting to become people watching it. Right. right. Well, for years, nobody wanted to televise it. They didn't think there was any, any interest value. in it. They didn't think there was any value. And now it is something that is completely unnecessary to have the gathering, to have people there, to have fans there. They could do it by phone. They could do it by text message. Yeah. They don't have to have a draft location. But it's become this traveling road show where they get 15, 20 players to go to get their bear hug from the commissioner. The fans show up. They expect 300000 over the course of the weekend in Kansas City. Wow. For what? There's nothing there. Nothing is going to happen there. Everything that occurs is going to be electronic. It could be done without the pomp and circumstance. All the decision makers are in their draft rooms at their facilities. There's no reason to even be at the draft. If you're covering it, you're better off being home, working your sources that way because nobody's there. The only people are there are the players and they, they keep them so under lock and key. It's hard to get to them to talk to them anyway. So I quit going 10 years ago. There's no value in making the trek and spinning your wheels. There's nothing there other than the show. And the right. show the show really is about nothing. It could be anywhere, any place, or no place at all and still be the same interest coast to coast, worldwide, over who's taking what pick what. And yet for that host city, that's turned into a huge deal. Economic boom. That's been a good move to move it out of New York from the host city perspective, from a brand perspective, no? Yeah, and they did it at Radio City Music Hall every year for years. And then 2013, 
2015 was the year they got into some sort of a jam where there was an Easter show at Radio City or something like that. They got a scheduling conflict, so the NFL said, fine, see ya, and they took it to Chicago, and they did it two years in Chicago, and they were like, hey, this is pretty good. And they go to Philly, and remember those scenes from Philly yep, with nuts. the cam, camera swooping down yep. and all the people, yep. and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and bigger. Nashville was just outrageous. Yeah, right? 600,000 yeah. over the weekend. And and it's also something that opens up the process of trying to host the draft to cities that otherwise would be disqualified from the Super Bowl because it's cold weather. Any place that hosts NFL football, by the time you get to the end of April, it's at least most likely going to be the kind of weather where you could pull it off. But you know, Mike, I, I agree with you, but there's still, there's an attraction because like with the Oscars, with the red carpet, nothing happens on the red carpet. But people watch. They want to right. see how people are dressed. They want to see if they say, you know, what kind of glad handing goes on. So it has an atmosphere that fans are drawn to. Oh, absolutely. And it's been that way for a long time now. I'll give you my red carpet story. Well, oh, sure. Good. Oh, yeah. Radio City Music Hall, yeah. 2011. I'm walking down 6th Avenue toward Radio City, and they had the red carpet set up, and you could see the bodies moving on it. And I saw Cam Newton approaching me. And... I thought, oh, but well, they got the red carpet like up on an elevated platform. <laughs> <laughs> so, nope, <laughs> that's that guy is just a giant monster. So, yeah, you mentioned earlier that the players, dozen or so players, will go and get their bear hug from the commissioner. If Roger Goodell had you approach him, would he give you a bear hug hug, or would he lift his hands up and try to squeeze your throat? I guess it would depend on what mood he's in. What I may have said or written in the not-too-distant So is it, is, it, is it a mercurial relationship that you two have? I lump him in with the league office generally, and it comes and goes. Sometimes good, sometimes not good. Sometimes they understand how to deal with me. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get mad at me. Sometimes they're happy with me. And I point this out to my bosses when... I write something that I know the NFL should like. You probably won't hear from them on this one. Just remember that. They're going to like this one. You're not mm. going to hear from them. File that away for the time they call to complain about something they don't like. It's good work. And that, yeah. that's what, you know, people that I, and, I, and I've started doing this. If there's somebody that I know who's in my phone that I rarely ever hear from, and the time I hear from them is they're complaining about something, the first thing they hear from me is, hey, I don't want to hear it now. I mean, I never hear from you. We don't talk. You don't call me up when there's something you like. This isn't just a complaint line. This is a relationship line. So if you're going to call me up <laughs> and that. complain, I like that. and that's that. the only time I'm going to hear from you, don't you. bother. And I've done that before. And some people, I never hear from them again. And some, it you know, it kind of sparks a relationship. But you know, I mean, that's yeah. just, you know, you, we've all got friends that the only time we hear from them is when they need something and that's fine because if they're truly your friend, you help them out. But the people you know that are only going to call you up when they want to complain, like, mm -hmm. get out of my life. I, I'm too busy to worry about sure. that crap. Mike, uh, two things. One, do you have a pickup because I need help moving? Uh, <laughs> no, the second, but but I, I do what you do too with, is if I write something that I think that will be viewed favorably by that individual entity, I'll let them know that I wrote that. And so you see that? And I'll do the same thing and I'll keep that in mind. And then when it comes around to complain, then it's better to say, well, you know, remember what I wrote this. So, I mean, I, I try to make sure, like you do, that they, that they see the entirety of what I'm doing. 
not just picking out the bad stuff. I think the problem with the NFL is because they've had their own in-house media operation for 20 years now, and they are accustomed to their broadcast partners having reporters in place who will tread lightly, exercise discretion in a certain way, not step in a spot where they're going to have to deal with consternation, agitation, whatever. They do get a little upset when somebody says something that they don't like. And I mean, that's fine. Within the last 12 to 18 months, what is the one topic they've been most upset with you about? I can't remember because I just keep moving forward. I can't let that drag me down. I can't think, oh no, I, I, have, to, I have to be careful going forward because I made the mad. The maddest they ever got was 2019 when they decided they were going to set up workout for all teams with Colin Kaepernick and the whole thing turned into a, a bleep show and I was very pointed in my criticism of and really everyone had blame both sides nobody trusted each other and they're all looking to score points and of course they cherry-picked certain things I said about the league that they didn't like and that ended up being a big mess but NBC's always been great I know I've sat in this chair before and said NBC's always been very good about supporting me when things go sideways and the league complains, they they explain you. that, you know, this guy's just doing his job and, you know, that's that. And and they, they deal with it. Wow, right. here's a guy from Bleacher Report ripping you. Oh, here we go. Well, what do you got to bring that yeah, up Yeah, what, what do we do? Yeah, yeah. Where did that come from? I can stay home and deal with this. <laughs> Do you think <laughs> you're training? Do you think you're training? Hey, I get ripped I off, but you know what? You know what? This. In this business, if you're not getting ripped, you're not doing it right. Right. Because you're going to be saying something that resonates with someone, and someone's going to jump on it to try to push back on what you said, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. But people need something to argue about. People need something to write about. And hell, I don't care. I mean, I don't care what. I mean, at this point, I don't care what anybody says. As long as the check clears every month, I don't care. Right. Do you think your training as an attorney helped you get ready for the criticism? Absolutely, because when you practice law, by definition, half the people you deal with hate you. They just do. The other lawyer, the client on the other side, they're always going to be against you. They're always going to look at you like a jerk. They're always going to think you're up to something. They're always going to have a negative opinion because it's an adversarial process. The whole idea, whether it's right or wrong, you put two people, two sides against each other. They go head to head and the truth somehow pops out of the whole thing and it rarely ever does, but that's a different story altogether. Right. It's a it's a bastardized version of the truth that the jury accepts even if it isn't actually what happened. But regardless, when you're used to dealing with half the people that you deal with, hating you with a passion all the time, anything less than 50% is a good day. And so 10%, 5%, 20%, that's good. That's better than living your life every single day, fighting with everyone, and by definition, having half the people you deal with love you and half the people you deal with hate you. This has become such a helpful session for Hoppy. I mean, this has become, this has become basically like counseling for Hoppy. My man takes more crap Left and right. Is this helping you hop? Man, well, he's putting I, some things in I'd say some really, I really good perspective. I you know, I have a lot of respect for Mike and I think that Mike is got the right attitude, you know, dealing with what he deals with at you know, at that level. Uh I probably am too more sensitive to it than I should be. Yeah. You know, it weighs on me a little bit more. And Well, chances are you run into the people that you have to talk about write about you see them they're the the you know i don't 
I rarely do. I have to interact with them, but it's not like I have to go to the store and worry about somebody coming up to me and you know, saying it's not, something. It, it, it's or some of that, but, but a lot of it is just the this. I, I I try to be very accessible. So a lot of it's just I was just like I, I will answer almost every text I get. You couldn't possibly do that. You know, I'll get on on a show on a given day. I'll get you know seventy texts. You know, so I'll respond to like sixty of them. The ones that just say you're no good sob. Well, what? No, I'm not. You know, I can't. There's <laughs> no, I'm not. so there's no. But others, you know, I try to respond to. So, um, so I, I try to have that interaction because I think those are still. I don't have his audience as big as you. So those those are still listeners. Okay, so I feel it's important to interact. But you know, it wears you down. It wears well, you down. I, I put my email address out there for anybody that wants to send an email, and I will scroll through them. Mm-hmm. I, I can't answer all of, of them, not. but you know, sometimes it's just somebody hating because they want to hate. Somebody's mad because you said something about their favorite team and they just want to be upset. But every once in a while, there's something there that it's not a bad point. Yeah. You know? And if you're not receptive to that, how are you ever going to get any better? If you're not constantly looking for the areas where you need to improve, and sometimes it's going to be somebody who just wants to give you a hard time, but at the core of that complaint, there's something there yeah. that maybe yeah. helps. Yeah. Sometimes when Hoppy needs to get himself away from the stress and uh, the, uh, the mean people, he jumps into his Burdette camper. <laughs> he gets a hold of that. What he did was he also took advantage of the Forest River Rockwood Ultralight Fifth Wheel, now $10,000 off at Burdette Camping. And it is, uh, it's a wonderful vehicle. And Power awning. Power awning. You're exactly correct. Thanks, Brad, for bringing that up. It's a 20-foot power <laughs> awning, but it takes up three spaces here in our parking lot at work. If you'd like to check out that vehicle, and again, $10,000 off or any of the vehicles available, Go to the place where the warranty lasts forever. You buy it, warranty forever on every RV that they sell at BurdetteCamping.com. Is your intel process gathering easier now or more difficult now than, say, the last 5, 10, 15 years ago? It's easier in some ways and harder in others. I mean, you always have to be on the lookout for somebody who's trying to manipulate you, use you, get an agenda out there. And I think I've made it clear over the years I'm not interested in the pre-draft bullcrap that certain people try to spread, whether it, and this is the ultimate Machiavellian approach to the draft. And this happens. If you have, let's just say pick 15, and I don't know who has the 15th pick off the top of my head this year. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to suggest the team that has the 15th pick. Right. But let's say there's a player that you really, really like. And you know, Player's probably not going to be there at 15. You don't want to have to trade up to get him. Well, one strategy is you start telling people in the media all sorts of bad things about this guy that you love, this guy that you covet, this guy Uh. that you want no more than to have on your team. You start spreading all this crap in the hope that he slides. And the flip side of it is, let's say you're at 15 and there's a guy you hate. Push a bunch of good stuff because you want some sucker who drafts in front of you to take that guy pushing down the board the players you actually want. I figured that out 10 years ago and more than that, 15 years ago. And it changes how you process and how I look for stuff. But one thing that's made it easier for me is when I definitely need something now. I know who to call. I have in my phone who I need to get in touch with. And if it's not an immediate call to the person, I know one or two steps that I can get what I need. And it comes in handy on Sundays when we're getting ready for an 80 minute pregame show. And 
you know, the producer says, we need to know what's up with this guy. We need to know what happened with that injury. We need to know what's going on here. We need to know what's going on there. I got to mobilize and get the information. So that's become a lot easier. Is the first part of that happening with a quarterback right now that may be from this general region? With C.J. Stroud, you yeah. mean? I thought so at first, but I talked to somebody recently who I believe is not trying to manipulate the board based upon where that team drafts and what that team currently has and doesn't have. And some of the stuff that's out there came right out of this person's mouth. And it, it really made me it really made me wonder whether it's just a situation where it's starting to coalesce, it's starting to reach a critical mass, where there are concerns from a leadership standpoint that may be a factor. And it's unfortunate. And I look at it this way. To be in the conversation for one of the first picks in the draft, you still have something really good. And there's going to be aspects of the candidate that will be polarizing and cause some to say not for me. But still, all in all, you're among the very best that will be entering the NFL or you wouldn't even be in the position to drop from number one to number 15 right. or whatever the, the slide would be. You're still one of the very best prospects. But the caveat is... You know, some teams won't justify using that high pick. And one of the one of the dynamics too is the team. What's the team looking for by way of risk tolerance? Do they want someone with a high floor, or do they want someone with a high ceiling and maybe a low floor? Are you willing to roll the dice on a guy that may be a superstar and tolerate the possibility he's going to be a bust? Now, coaches and GMs may be less likely to do it, but owners get involved in the process. They like to act like they aren't. They get involved. Their attitude is, hey. We get a bust, we'll be back here again. Coach and GM, their attitude may be, you get a bust, it's going to be gone. somebody else who's in this job the next time that you're in a position to take a quarterback this high. So that's fascinating too. But that's you take 32 different teams with 32 different agendas, 32 different mindsets, 32 different approaches, and you throw them into the same bucket and they start making picks. That's why it's impossible for these mock drafts to even be remotely accurate. And they go completely off the rails over the first three or four picks. You were supposed to be with us last Thursday, but you had a Bryce Young interview yes. that came in. So when you conversated with him, what were your takeaways? Well, I mean, he seems like a great kid. And the problem and the challenge is to really pierce through whatever he's been taught, Training. whatever he's been trained to do. Yeah. But look, he's going to be the first overall pick. And he's on the wrong side of six feet. He's 5'10 and an eighth. He weighed into the combine at 205, but didn't work out. At his pro day workout, he didn't weigh in. So the thinking is this guy was eating Twinkies and drinking milkshakes to get north of 200. So the red flags don't go off. And then when it's time to work out, he's south of 200. But that's going to be a big part of it. Height and weight. Very rarely is there a quarterback under 200 pounds. And when you look at the struggles that Tua Tonga-Vailoa has had, where he gets knocked to the ground, helmet strikes the turf, concussion. Every concussion last year, two, three, even though officially the first one was a back injury. Right. Anybody with common sense knows that he had a concussion against the Bills, four nights later against the Bengals, Christmas Day against the Packers, all from his head, striking the turf. And now he's doing jujitsu to try to manage that. I hope it works for him. I asked Bryce Young about that, and he said he's learning how to slide. He's learning how to do the baseball slide. And look, I didn't have time to quibble with him about it. It's like, that's fine. You're learning how to do the baseball mm -hmm. slide so you don't get blown up in the open field. I'm talking about you're in the pocket. Guy comes in and pushes you. What is your strategy for 
winning a physics formula that is not on your side. <laughs> that's so true. And that's what happened to Tua. And that's what's going to happen to Bryce Young. And it's one thing to be at Alabama where you've got these giant oak trees that are protecting you against any and all assault. You get to the NFL, somebody's slipping through. Some guy, and Peter King made this point in his column, Football Morning in America, which is available at profootballtalk.com every Monday morning. You guys on Did serious? NASCAR thing again. You guys on serious? Serious XM85. Thanks. Uh, but uh, Peter made the point that Bryce Young's going to go to Carolina and he's going to look across the line at Calais Campbell who is 10 inches taller and 110 pounds heavier. That's what he's going to see the first time the Panthers play the Falcons this year. And that's just one example of the giants out there. I I was writing a story earlier today about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's not a little guy. And he was standing next to Morgan Moses. And it looked like Morgan Moses was standing on a box 18 inches high. So there are some big guys. I remember... You know, my kid played high school football, and he thought he was, you know, he's the biggest kid in school, so he thinks he's pretty big. We went to that Baylor game, 2012. What was the score? 115 to 109. 76-63. And, and uh, we were down on the sideline for that game, and it was so funny. That was his that was his moment that he realized his football career ends at high school because he's down there doing this, <laughs> looking up at those guys. I mean, they're, they're just huge. The offensive linemen and defensive linemen in the NFL are huge. They're huge in college, and the biggest of the big end up playing in the NFL. Yeah. Why isn't Lamar Jackson somewhere else? Variety of reasons, a stew of factors from collusion to, you know, the one thing that gets overlooked because there's been so much talk about contract, wants a fully guaranteed contract because Deshaun Watson got one last year. Now, Deshaun Watson had everything fall just perfectly for the Cleveland Browns to get desperate and do a deal that you're just not going to give to a guy. You have to have a process that results in a team becoming sufficiently desperate to do what they did. Just in a nutshell, Deshaun Watson and the Texans set up a competition with four teams, Saints, Panthers, Falcons, Browns, for Deshaun Watson. And the Browns were the first ones kicked out, and they'd already alienated Baker Mayfield, and they were stuck. So they swung back around with a fully guaranteed contract, but that's how he got it. Lamar Jackson thinks it's enough to just say to the Ravens, give it to me. Or to somebody else, just give it to me. They're not going to do it. But the other side of it is, the Browns give up three first-round picks and then some to get Deshaun Watson on top of the money. So to get somebody else to give Lamar Jackson the contract the Ravens won't give him and to give up all that other stuff to do it, it's just not It's not going to happen. It's going to come down to Lamar and the Ravens. And as I've said time and again, at some point, he's got to say yes. He's got to say yes to something. The example I used last week, if you got a car you're trying to sell for 50 grand and the only offer you're getting for it is 30 and anybody that looks at it says it's 30, it's 30, it's 30. At some point, you've got to take 30 or you don't sell the car. At some point, he's got to say yes to what the Ravens are offering or he isn't playing football. It's that simple. And uh, I think it may go all the way up to week one. I thought when they signed Odo Beckham Jr., it would help break the ice a little bit, but there's no sign of it yet. But at some point, he's got to accept an offer or his career doesn't continue. And does, he, could, he could possibly not play at all this year. Does Rodgers' movement have anything to do with that or it's two separate issues? It's two separate issues. Now, if somehow, some way, the Rodgers thing would completely fall apart, and some folks like to speculate on that because it's kind of slow right now. So, all right, hey, maybe the 49ers will get involved for Aaron Rodgers. Well, Aaron Rodgers has said his intention is to play for the Jets. Until that changes... He's going to the Jets. At some point between now and week one, he's going to the Jets. I think it's going to happen Friday night during round two. I think that's when they land the plane. No pun intended, but maybe it was. Uh, And the Jets end up getting him. If that would all fall apart, then I think part of the desperation 
that we were talking about earlier with the Browns. That mindset that forces you, we got to do something, we got to do something. It caused the Jets to say, we got to go get Lamar Jackson. We got to give the Ravens what they want. We got to give this guy what he wants. We got to do something because we look stupid now because we spent all these weeks thinking we were getting Aaron Rodgers and it blew up in our faces. We've been recording for over 30 minutes and we haven't yet touched upon the fact why this is one of the busiest weeks of the year for you. In addition to the National Football League draft, your novel will be released as we record tomorrow. Yeah, why did I pick this week? Well, I picked this week because it's... You were supposed to do it last week. I know I was supposed to be here last week. you changed it. But the book is out this week. I understand. That's my point. We were previewing. Thank you. We were going to tease. We were going to tease. This is a... uh, You get me all riled up, and then you expect me to calm down when you try to slip (laughs) into your NPR voice. Mike uh, Florio is with us. I always wanted to be one of those NPR people. I just kind of... I don't know how they do it. They just, no matter what, they just kind of talk like this. And uh, is that nice? It's very special. So Mike's got a new book called Father of Mine, and it will be released on Amazon tomorrow and, of course, on Sirius XM 85. Yeah, thanks. Peacock Network. We're going to actually well. read the book on Sirius XM 85. A reading. So we're, um, So this is a whole, now if, if, two things here. If you're not aware of who Mike is and what he does, you'll miss out here on the absolute paradox of what this is. So he was one of the very first people in the space to create his own media company and created profootballtalk.com and has since had that going on. Does everything out of his um, palatial studio in a state in Bridgeport. Compound probably at this Compound. Point. Yeah. Compound in Bridgeport does that on a regular basis, but just for the hell of it, since nothing else is going on, he's an mm-hmm. author with plans to write over 20 books with the thought being, as he says himself, if I write 20 of them, at one point, one of them will be good enough to read. Basically, That's paraphr- basically right. Paraphrasing. Yeah, it's the infinite monkey theorem. Are you aware of the infinite monkey theorem? Yeah, you put the monkeys in a room, and after whatever, whatever, they'll write uh, Shakespeare. Eventually, right? so, yeah. eventually, eventually if you have enough monkeys right. and enough typewriters randomly typing, eventually right. they will create Shakespeare. Right. So, 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 I don't have infinity, and I'm fresh out of monkeys, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just have to do it myself. And, so, and as I tell my wife, quality... Could be the issue. Quantity is not the issue. No, you're, you're no. That's true. You're kind of like our buddy Greg Hunter. That blue gold news. He just he just writes until his fingers just fall off. That's what they do. But the book is based. It's a fictional novel, talking organized crime in Wheeling, West Virginia, where you were raised. 1973. Here's this. Read it in. in sure. Uh, sure. Go ahead. It's 1973. The mob is everywhere. The mob rules the cities. It also controls small towns like Wheeling, West Virginia, where it runs rampant, unchecked, and unlimited. Johnny Masani? Masaji? Johnny? Johnny? And that's part of the mystery. That's a good last name. No, it's up to the ring. I'll give it to you. How do you spell it? M-E-S-A-G-N-E. M-A-S-A-G-N-E. Masagni? Johnny, Johnny well, Misagni. Like many Italian names, it gets pronounced all sorts of different ways, as Tony and I both know. Johnny Misagni exited the life short of six years earlier. His estranged son, J.J. Jenkins, becomes intrigued by the work his father once did. J.J. eventually falls for the mistress of the boss, a man whose local authority is absolute. Father of Mine by Mike Florio. Damn, you know I'm going to do the audio book. Maybe I need to... 
see if Hoppy wants to read it. He's available. Only promise. One thing I've probably, the audio probably leave book, after the third the, chapter. The audio book, the audio book uh, is uh, <laughs> the whole thing with the audio book is a pain, a major pain in the ass. Well, we so I was going to do for playmakers, major pain in the what ass. What does that mean? Why? Just you got to sit and read, and you got to do it right, you and you got to be within a certain range of sound and you got to be careful about every noise that you make and you got to go back and do it again. You got to go back and do it again. And I don't know, it takes a level of patience. I don't have, I can't sit still for that long and read words on a page out loud. I just can't do it. So your father was a bookie. Yes. Butch. Yep. I, you know, it's funny. It used to be something that I didn't lead with. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but the world changed five years ago. Became middle cool. of May. Yeah. It's like, hey, everybody's a bookie now, right? Yeah. This, uh, publicly traded companies are all bookies now. The house is everywhere. So he was part of the Hankish crew in Wheeling. And I'm so concerned at some level that I'm going to get whacked for writing this book. But I think all those people are <laughs> they're, dead they're by now. I think they're, they're done gone. and they're gone. And what happened was... I would assume that the mob was prevalent in all small towns, coast to coast in the 70s. And then Rico came along. And as the prosecutors realized what a powerful tool that was to shut these operations down, they shut those operations down. And I think anything that's happening now in the smaller towns and communities is a shell of what it once was, if even that. Yeah. Why? Why would it even exist unless you think you can get better odds you well, know, not playing. well, the gambling part, the gambling part's probably well, gone. You meant overall, right? Let, there, let me see, not yeah, just yeah, the whole thing, the whole organized crime thing. But I, I remember at some point in the mid seventies because for me, look, I mean, it was normal because it was all I knew. So everybody else was living an abnormal life, and I'm living a normal life where Dad's a bookie, and twice a week he's out working a floating craps game, and he gets home at three a.m. Wednesday night and Sunday night, and that was just normal. But I remember there was a time when. My mom and dad were concerned about gambling being legalized in West Virginia, mid-70s. Oh, this is good. And I'm thinking, what, why, well, why, what's the problem? This is good. This is good if it's legalized. Then we don't have to worry about you know, the police that never show up anyway because they right. don't care. It was all out in the open. But yeah. then it's like, well, yeah, but if it's ever legalized, then you, dad gets shut down because then you're competing with the state and, and uh, they're not going to let that happen. And, so, and I remember like the contingency plan, like vague. There was a vague period of time where the idea was we'd move to New Jersey and he'd get a job at one of the casinos in Atlantic City. I sure. mean, so they were ready. They were ready. And I can't remember who was running for governor at the time. It may have been Jay Rockefeller. I don't know. It was 70s. That might have been. That's before, that's before Rockefeller. Let me check. Could've Arch been. Moore. I don't know. Somebody was running for governor that if that person won, they potentially were going to legalize gambling. And that was sending up alarms. At uh, Jim Sprouse, Sprouse. Jim Sprouse, yeah. maybe a Democrat. So was you say the the, the police knew but didn't care. So nobody were they, cared. Oh, oh. Did, were they getting their share though? Were they getting their share? Well, Dad kicked sixty percent upstream, best I could tell. And upstream was to to the people to, to, the, to, to the Pits- people. Pittsburgh. No, no, no. Up, up, upstream to Hankish. Oh, okay. Hankish ran the operation. Hankish had all the bookies in town and other things. So Dad was the bookie, and sixty percent of the handle got sent upstream. You know, when you just keep your mouth shut and your ears open, you hear a lot of things when you're eight, nine, 10 sure, years old absolutely. in the household. And that paid for a lot of things, including not having a cop wander in off the street and say, what's going on in here and shutting it all down. Okay. So, um, and, and look, it, it, one of the, and there's no scene in the book that's based on this, but for me, when I was old enough to start being curious and snooping around, 
at the bottom of dad's closet was a box of envelopes that were made out by hand to all the movers and shakers and lawyers and doctors and judges and politicians with the weekly sheet that had the lines on it and the over-unders for the NFL game. So he'd send them out on Monday and he'd wait for the phone to ring. But it was everybody. He just put an envelope, put a stamp on it, send it to their house. That's how out in the open it was. Did he handle, didn't he handle collections too? No, I, that, that's part of what you pay the 60% for. That if anybody oh, somebody stiffs else. Okay. you, okay. if anybody stiffs you, then they have to deal with you know, the people who are paid to make sure that it's another division. That's another part of the division. Another division. It's okay. called the enforcement division. Yeah. Enforcement division. Dad, dad wasn't going to enforce anything, although there was one time. I mean, my dad was very meek and very quiet and very humble, and he would be beside himself if he knew I was talking about this right now. And part of me thinks he is, and sorry, Dad, there isn't anything you can do about it. But uh, <laughs> this is, I don't know, it's a funny story to me. You may not think it's funny. They used to do those, and they probably still do them at high school, where they have the stupid spirit days where you got to dress up as something different. Because <laughs> I hated doing that. St- I hated that. I hated that. So, and I can't remember what it was. It's homecoming week. I'm a sophomore in high school, and you got to dress up as something. It's sure. Like, you know, life's hard enough without having to worry about finding a freaking right. costume. Like, right. what am I, where am I going to get a freaking costume, you know? Um, so I decided I'm going to be a mobster. So I decided I'm going to be a mobster, and I raid Dad's closet. Get, get the sport coat. Get the fedora, get the sunglasses, right? I'm walking home from school that day. Oh boy. From the bus stop. No, I'm Uh-oh. walking home and you know, got the you know, I don't you know, you don't wear many sport coats when you're fifteen years old. I'm walking home in dad's sport coat and feeling pretty good about myself and I reach in one of the pockets and oh, pull something boy. out. It's like Oh boy. What is this? Oh boy. Piece of rectangular metal. What is that? Is that bullets in there? It was a clip. And it was missing a couple bullets. So I get home and my mom did ceramics for years, and so she'd sit in the basement in her house coat, and she'd smoke a cigarette and paint her ceramics. And I walked in, and I said, I found this in Dad's coat. And she looked at it, twisted around a little bit, stuck it in her pocket, and just kept going. And there was <laughs> yep. never no any words. further never any further discussion ever about that incident. Hey, tell so. me this. How do you write? Do you just start like chapter one, or do you define the characters and then build from that? How do you do it? And then what's your, what's your schedule? Do you... For writing, I can only write at night. Okay. I can only write. I can't say only. I write well in my barn. It's hard for me to get into the flow and into the groove anywhere but in my barn. And what I do is, and I just finished one this past weekend. Now and so now I got to come up with an idea, and I got some ideas, but like it's just a thread. It's a thread you start pulling, you know. And I sit down with a general idea. And I just let it take me wherever it takes me. And oh, so you don't of, know. You don't know. I don't know specifically at first. For the first twenty to 40,000 words, I don't know where it's going to go. And then I get to a point where, okay, based on what I've done, where am I going from there? Okay. And then I outline the back end. So I don't outline the whole thing. Okay. I let the first 40,000 words flow, and then I figure out the rest of the story from there. And but, I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. It's just what works for me. Yeah. Okay. So on this one, how how much of the early stuff did you have to go back in and totally wipe and well, restart? This one, what I did was, I wrote it in two months, from June to August of 2020 during the pandemic. Once everything slowed down in the NFL, I, I you know just sit down and start going and and you have it done. But over time, 
I went back and and the initial draft was written in that the, the basic third person narrative. You know, he said this, she said this, he did that. I went back and I took four of the main characters and I have chapters and sections of chapters where it's first person for that character, unique voice to okay. that character, unique outlook to that character, unique view of the major dilemmas in the story. Some characters think it's not a big deal. Another character thinks it is a big deal, and that's part of what has to be resolved. And I thought that made it a more compelling, and it was more fun for me to go back and take the story and retell 80% of it, 85% of it from the perspective of the four main characters in the book. So that, and, and I hope to not have to do that again because I don't like the idea of going back and rewriting. I'd rather write something new. I resisted going back and rewriting, but I thought that was really the only way that I was going to make it better was to kind of reimagine what I'd already done and it did make it better. Was that advice you'd got from somebody or you just came to that on your own? My agent who handled Playmakers, the nonfiction book from last year, he looked at Father of Mine and he, he was nudging, 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 you know, you need to do more. You need to do more. It's good start. You need to do more. And I just kind of had that that bolt of lightning. I think it was last March, last April, that I read the Lincoln Highway, which uses that technique. And it's not a new technique, but it 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 makes it more engaging for the reader to have to pivot from character to character. And I actually, what I do, I name at the start of each chapter who the character is. I didn't want to do that because I wanted to put put it on the reader to figure out who it is, make it part of the hmm. fun, but. I, I thought I don't want to put too much of a burden on the reader because it can get it can get frustrating. You're like I'm, you know, I'm a page into this chapter and I have no idea who it is that's saying these words. Do you? I would think it isn't it isn't it hard to 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 end it to know when to stop or to or to bring it to a logical conclusion or do you bring it to a logical conclusion so that so that things are tied up. You get to the point where you just accept the fact that, that there's no amount of time that you're going to put into this now that's going to make it any better. It is what it is, and off it goes. And the challenge is when you first have that feeling, pushing through it. And when you have that feeling again, push through it. There's one point, though, where you just have to accept this is it. This is all it's ever going to be. I'm at the point where the returns are diminishing. I've got to finish it, and I got to move on to the next one. Within that process, which is the most enjoyable part for you? The best part is when you got a keyboard here. I'm going to take this keyboard. When you're sitting there with your fingers <laughs> at the ASDF JKL semicolon, right? All due respect, Home to row. semicolon. Home row. It's semicolon, right? Right. Yeah. So when you're sitting there. And Let me help with the semicolon there. Like, I never have writer's block. I never have that because once I sit there and lock in, it just goes. And the feeling of the story is revealing itself to me through this process that has just kind of become. It's it's the remember the Ouija board when we were kids. Like how much money did Milton Bradley make off of this stupid ass game that was at best a channeling of the dark arts right. and unleashing of demons throughout, you know, rec rooms yeah. coast to coast. <laughs> yeah, and and that was the appeal of it. Hey, maybe this, may, maybe there will be some evil spirit that manifests in the room. Wouldn't yeah. that be fun, Jimmy? Um, but it feels like that, like a Ouija board that actually works where it just goes. And I'm a witness to 
this just happening. It's a the words just come to me and it just goes. So if you were above yourself looking down at you, it would almost be like you could almost see this ray from keyboard to head. That is the flow. You see if you, you, the, so to answer your question, it's the flow that you enjoy the most. Yeah, and it feels like I'm reading the book as it's being written, not that I'm writing it. If that's, that makes any sense totally, at all. Totally makes sense. And that that's that that part is fun. Wow. And that's what frustrates me about having one done because I like that feeling and I gotta come up with another idea and sit down Jeez. and start and hope it works and then that feeling comes back again. But that that's that's a very addictive feeling. And it balances out everything else I, I do. Sims and I were making fun earlier today on, you know, how you balance working on football versus doing other things. And he gave me a hard time. Oh, well, you're you know, you're writing these books when you could be working even harder on the website. It's like, no, but this is the thing that that balances out all the time and all the effort mm-hmm. and all the It's a different type of creation and it's just a it's a fun hobby. And that's how I tripped into this business in the first place twenty three years ago. It's just a hobby. And it's a hobby now and I have fun doing it. And, you know, I hope people read and Maybe they'll like it and maybe they won't. And part of it too is I don't want anybody to keep reading if they don't like it. Like I sent you a copy. Feel free to share it with these guys. You start reading it and you think this is horrible. Stop. It's on the writer to make it interesting to the reader to keep going. The worst feeling in the world is being stuck in the middle of a book that you hate. I I have several of them. I I read on my phone exclusively now because it's nice. It lights up and it's, you know, you can make the print as big as you want it to be. Not even an iPad or anything. No, I just, I just use right on here. And, uh, I, I, there was, I'm a big Cormac McCarthy fan. No country for old men, the road. He went Pulitzer for the road. Great stuff. He's in his late eighties and he's still going, but he wrote a book called blood Meridian 30 years ago. And I don't know what the hell's going on. I can't follow it. There's nothing about it. That's enjoyable to me. And I got halfway through it and I said, I'm done out out. And that's fine. If you get to that point with one of my books, tap out. Don't keep going because that's a horrible feeling. And it's on the writer to create a feeling that the reader wants to keep going. Whatever's on this page has to make you want to go to the next page. Whatever's on the next page has to carry you to the next page. You can't just meander. You know, we've all seen those books where it just meanders. If it meanders, the reader doesn't care. The reader wants to be captured and engrossed and taken along for a ride. Mike's book officially drops on the 25th of april which is tomorrow as we record he didn't want that out publicly at all before and so he uses the service of comax business systems they are west virginia's data security experts right right I mean, yeah all my data is secured by comax absolutely so they're not not just a local copier guy if you're a business owner they can protect your data manage your it remotely they've got it done for you comax digital phone systems competitively priced from one line to a thousand Check them out at comaxwv.com. So the book is only like $4.99 on Kindle. It's a little under 15 bucks if you get the actual in-your-hand book. I wasn't even going to do the print, but so many people wanted it. It's like, that's fine. I tried to make it as cheap as I could. $4.99. I was going to go $2.99. And my wife said, you know, there's a point where (laughs) it's so cheap, the message is... (laughs) This isn't worth your time. Yeah. Harlequin romance right, type. Yeah. Right, Because I just want maximum readership. It's the same attitude I had with the website when we got started. Get it 
in front of as many people as possible. Maximize the audience. And I thought 299 would maximize it because I'm really not doing it. I know oh, when they say they're not doing it for the money, they're doing it for the money. I'm really not doing I it know for you're the not. money. I know remember you're though, not. remember Moneyball. It's not the money. It's what the money says. So, you right. know. Right. But but uh, but yeah, 1499 uh, because the paperback printing costs and shipping and handling and all that. But 1499 for that and 499 How many books have you written? I've... I've well, playmakers counts, but it doesn't really count because nonfiction is just you know it's the same stuff that I write all the time. So I would seven, count it. <laughs> yeah, I would I, count it if I. I, I uh, but it wasn't the right same. Now. It's a book you read. Yeah. Yeah. It, it felt more like work, like well, still the, a book. The enjoyment that I get from the fiction writing. I've finished seven manuscripts, but five of them still need a decent amount of work. So. Jeez. I had a, I, I did a, a, a Christmas story that about 68,000 words. So some people have called it a novella. I just posted it last year on the website, mm-hmm, like an that. advent calendar, one chapter a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get that ready and sell it this year. Cause how'd I really, that, I that really go over? like that. How'd that I, go over? Did people enjoy it? People enjoyed it. Some of the emails I got, and this is why I really want to keep doing it because when you get an email from someone who says, for example, I have had for decades work-related PTSD and I have been incapable of feeling anything for years. Mm-hmm. And your book made me feel something. Bingo. It's a good feeling. Win, 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 win. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. 100%. And that's what this, we because we just sit here and do this all the time, that's the one thing that we certainly don't respect enough is the fact that people become accustomed to you being with them either by reading you or your voice. So when they come and meet you, it's like there's this relationship that they have that you don't even have any concept whatsoever that's been going on, but in their mind, they know you really well. And it's broader than that. you know, what you guys do, what I do, what we do in this business, it's very easy to question what is the value? What, mm-hmm. what are we, re- what are we, re- like, I've, I've said that to my wife. We're like, what in the hell am I doing <laughs> right. that is helping anyone? Right, what am you. I contributing to society? And that's one of the reasons I wanted to write longer form because whatever I write today at profootballtalk.com, by tomorrow, nobody cares. Exactly. And by Wednesday, nobody cares about what I wrote Tuesday. You have to constantly feed the beast. You feed have to constantly shovel coal into the into yeah, the engine absolutely. to keep the train going, or or everybody's going to scatter. Mike, you know what happens if you don't feed the beast? The beast will feed on you. Well, that's 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 uh, the beast feeds on me anyway, even as I try to feed the beast. <laughs> but when I get emails from people who a guy over the weekend who watches our show every morning on Peacock, Sirius XM85, Sky Sports Action, or in the UK and Ireland, and wherever you get your podcast. He fought pancreatic cancer and won. That's hard. That's, that's, that's a tough one. And one of the things he did every day, watched our show. And that was his anchor. Part of, I mean, he had other anchors, but he reached out to explain that. And I mean, how do you not feel touched by that? And at least it makes you feel like what you're doing means Absolutely. something to somebody, even if it's just one person. But I get those all the time. I send them to my wife just so she understands that, <laughs> that this thing I'm doing that seems so frivolous and meaningless to me. And it does. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny when you think about what we all do. Like we're part of, and the valuable service that we have is for so many people, it is a diversion 
from the challenges and the issues and the realities of the world, mm-hmm. whether it's their own personal life, whether it's the broader issues that cause stress for people in today's world, we give them that escape. And I like that part of it. And that's what I wanted to do with writing longer form. I would just like to write something that, you know, I don't need to have my name on a building. I don't need to have, you know, the interchange out on I-79 that doesn't have a name. I don't need my name. No, I want something that 50 years from now, some kid's going to trip across it and read it and say, you know, I was pretty good. I kind of like that. And sure. that, that becomes kind of your thing because I know none of the stuff I write every day, anybody's going to see 50 years from now. That's well said. Hey, you know what? what? Mike talks real good. Don't you think, huh? Mike talks I just, real, I just real good. Really, you know, I'm blown away by your, by your writing process. I write a commentary, you know, five days a week, and sometimes it is just like extracting teeth. I mean, really, it just is. And I was just reading, I knew there was a quote, and I rechecked it by Red Smith, the former longtime columnist for the New York sure, Times. Sure, one of the greats. Yeah. And he said, writing's easy. You just sit down by the typewriter, and you start to sweat blood. I mean, I, and, and, <laughs> but it just seems, it seems like it's so effortless for you. And um, He's a weird dude. Well, but, but he's, he's atypical. Thanks. And I don't, but effort, I don't mean, I don't mean you're years, not putting effort into it. Right. I just mean. But it, is, but it is. Look, I remember when I got into this business, when it was a hobby, when I was just doing it for fun and I realized I was pretty good at it. One of the reasons I realized I was good at it is because I just sat down and went. I mean, and it was a, it was a building block from when you practice law, you write all the time and you don't have the luxury of sitting there wondering what I'm going to write next. You just have to get it done. And when we started PFT, same idea. I got to keep moving. Got to feed the beast. Don't have time to sit and think. Just have to go with what comes to me. I can't stare at a blank screen I don't have time to do it. It's not an option. And I take that into when it's time to sit down and write. I don't have time to sit there and wonder what I'm going to write next. That's why I really do have angst now that I've finished the latest project and I don't know what I'm going to do next. And the sooner I know what I'm going to do next and get started on it, I'll feel even killed again. I want to have that thing where, because once I know where I'm going, I sit down and off it goes. But I just think it's repetition, it's repetition, Mm -hmm. it's repetition. It's the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, when I look at all the writing I've done over the last 30 years, I mean, it's got to be 50,000 hours. It's got to be 100,000 hours. I mean, it's hours I don't want to know about that I've been sitting there. I'm amazed my fingers still work of all all the times I've, you know, bashed into a keyboard the past 30 years. Were you a prodigious writer in high school? No, no. I, I, I didn't like it because I didn't understand. You know, I was more math and science. Things were clear and black and white. And when you wrote, there were too many different ways you could go. And I wanted to be able to take the numbers and plug them into the equation and get the answer and know that's it. It's clear. There's no gray area. And over time, I think once I, once I started law school, then you realize there still can be a formula to writing, but it can also be something that's very open-ended. And I embraced that instead of being fearful of yeah. the fact that there's no right or wrong answer. It's all very subjective. You can't work through a formula and get to a final answer. You just have to do whatever sounds good, whatever makes sense. And I think the best way to become a decent writer is to just read a lot. You understand what you like, you understand what you don't like, and then you just emulate the things that you yep. read that you like. And, 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 and to write, and to write, to do the reps. And, and yeah, that's right. It's yeah. got to be the reps, but you also have to have that basic understanding of what communication, what good communication feels like, what it sounds like, what it looks like, and then you just go. So you were a black and white person 
coming out of high school. So that's why engineering was like a perfect fit. It was either this or that. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room in engineering. I gave no consideration to any other field of study that would require writing, that would require anything other than plugging in numbers to formulas and memorizing the formulas and figuring out yeah. you know, whether it's physics or chemistry or whatever. And then I got overwhelmed by that and started looking for a way out. And that's when I found law school. Yeah. Because the formulas get harder. Well, the formulas get more difficult. The, the, the concepts become much harder for my impaired brain to understand. So that's when I deviated toward but you didn't words. Get, but you still finished the engineering degree. You didn't go transfer portal and run away no, early. No, I wanted to. Mom wouldn't let me. Good now, for her. More credit to mom. I wanted to get the hell out of there. Oh, college was, college was not easy. Especially because, you know, you're 18, 19 years old. You're wired to do the things that are natural to an 18 or 19 year old studying hard at Carnegie Mellon, study, probably not the social hard, hub of the world. Uh, you know, a little all, bit, a little bit different nightlife hoppy, Carnegie Mellon and <laughs> West Virginia university. Was it? Are you sure? Yeah, a little bit. But, different. but, uh, yeah, it was just not a good age to be, <laughs> not a good to be age. as diligent as I, and once, but you know what? It made law school a lot easier. That's for damn sure. sure. Law school was a lot easier after going through that. So anyway, so the Redskins, who ends up buying them? Done deal? Who? What's going to happen? Yeah. Who? The Commanders. Washington football team. I'm st- it's only been three years. That's okay. Excuse me. I- Re-rack, re-cue. Edit. Yeah. The the Washington football club. You know what? It, it, like, what, what a story. The Washington Post had a big story about it. Kind of, of course, they've been on it forever. To take a franchise that was one of the most valued and, and beloved franchises in the National Football League, and to take it to the depths that it's gotten to, it's incredible. Those I are mean, your boys. About, That's your team. Not anymore. Well, I know. Growing up, Snyder, it, I mean, growing up, it was. It, growing, yeah, growing up, yeah. it was. It was just like you couldn't, you know, twenty-year wait for season tickets, and and you know, having then having Super Bowl victories with, with Gibbs and with what Dan Snyder did to that to that franchise. Of course, he increased the value eight times, or the value increased eight times. That, that's what an incredible story that is. Yeah, he didn't do anything to increase the value. Right, the value increased stay in because, the seat. Yeah, it just yeah. increased. Yeah. It's going to keep increasing. The average run of the mill team is going to be worth eight to ten billion soon. Yeah. If it's not all, I mean, it's getting there. When you go from four point six five to six in eight months, the Broncos sold for four point six five. The Commanders are going to sell for six. It's a thirty percent bump in eight months. It's going to keep going up and up and up. But yeah, you know, the reality there is Josh Harris's group seems to be seems to be. The, the likely group to prevail with Magic Johnson involved. Magic Johnson's in for 4%. At the $6.05 billion price tag, that's $240 million. <laughs> Jerry Jones bought all of the Cowboys for $150 million, And Magic Johnson's going to get 4% of the commanders for $240 million, But it's going to be a good investment for him. Now, Steve Apostolopoulos, the Canadian billionaire, he was on CNBC this morning. I don't think that he's a real contender. The door is is open for someone else to swoop in because it's a non-exclusive deal between Josh Harris and Daniel Snyder. People thought Jeff Bezos was maybe going to get in. I think Bezos looks at it very pragmatically as, I can wait for the next one. Why do I want to buy the one that has to be gutted and rebuilt with this horrible stadium and the, the, the goodwill of the organization shot, and I may have to rebrand it again, I think he's going to buy the Seahawks next year. Mm-hmm. Because the Seahawks in Paul Allen's estate, held by his sister Jody, she's in the process of selling off, like she sold off billions in art. And 
under the deal that built the stadium that the Seahawks play in now, as of May 2024, the obligation evaporates to give the state 10% of the sale proceeds. So once we get to May of 24, let's just think about that, 10 cents on the dollar. If they would sell to Bezos for $8 billion, that's $800 million that goes straight to the state, which was like twice what the stadium cost. I think as of May 2024, that's when it's for sale. And I think that's the team that Bezos ends up buying because then you don't have to go in and build a new stadium. You don't have to rebuild the loyalty of the fans. You don't have this because I think there's going to be a hell of a honeymoon period for the new owners. Of yeah, the commanders. Just, be, just because it's not Dan Snyder. Right. <laughs> but reality is going to set in at some point and the people are going to expect something. And along the way, you're going to be busting your ass to get this team to where it needs to be. And why do that if you can just wait for the next team that has all the problems already solved? We mentioned earlier on in the program about how gambling has become accepted and embraced by professional sports leagues now all across uh, the nation. And for that matter, now all, many places across the world. What's the next iteration? The last time we had you in here, uh, that was a main topic, even for your involvement and for what you do on a regular basis. What's the next uh, shiny uh, squirrel for gambling? What are we going to see? I think that in the past year or so, there's been a recognition that at some point they just have to make money. That you can set up the infrastructure, you can go out and do a bunch of bad deals, which I think a bunch of these companies did, and then reality sets in. You've got shareholders you ultimately have to answer to. You have to make money. And until they can break into California, Texas, and or Florida, the current cap on the, the total earnings is, is going to be maybe lower than they thought it was going to be. And we're only five years into this. But I'm just kind of along for the ride. Wherever it goes, it goes. I, I, Signed up with NBC indefinitely into the future, several more years at a minimum, and hope to continue it even longer than that. And the gambling side of it, it's just hard to figure out. And I think it's going to fluctuate. It's going to flutter a little bit. It's going to do different things. But, but ultimately, these companies have to find a way to make money. The house always wins. We know that. But they have to find a sweet spot where they're spending enough money to bring in enough customers and that those customers are generating enough revenue to justify the expenditures to keep trying to bring in more customers. What about this latest news from last week, the players and staff in the NFL that got hit with this? Big deal, not a big deal, more of it coming? I think it's a huge deal. And I'm told that there have been plenty of league and team employees over the recent months that have quietly been fired for violating the gambling policy. It's very broad. It applies to everyone employed by every team, employed by the league office. My concern is that the NFL is content to periodically have one of the sportsbook partners serve up the evidence because these kids just don't realize. You use your phone. They're going to triangulate. They're going to figure it out. You use the DraftKings app in your name, on your phone. They're going to know you did it. But that allows the NFL to create the impression that we're doing what we have to do to enforce this policy. But what are they doing to affirmatively investigate all the potential violations? What other violations are out there? And are they truly ahead of the curve as it relates to the use of inside information? Especially, you know, these draft boards. Right. Who knows what a given team thinks about a given guy? And you could take that information, you could slip it to somebody, and that person goes to Vegas and drops a huge bet on who whichever team is going to take in round one 
and makes a bunch of money, how are they controlling that material non-public information as they call it in the corporate world? Uh, are they, or is it just the books are, are giving you such low limits and that's why some books won't put it up until just this week? Well, I mean, the books are reacting to that clearly right now. Well, the books are reacting to it, but you know, I've read stories about, there was an ESPN host that within the past couple of years, I think it was two years ago in the draft, there was a corner who was mischaracterized as a safety yeah. or vice versa, and he made like 350 grand. Mm-hmm betting that he would be the first safety off the board and he was actually a corner and he wasn't the first corner, but he technically was the first safety even though he wasn't a safety. <laughs> and it was on a kiosk and he went yeah, multiple exactly. times on the multiple kiosk times overnight before somebody yeah. fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 350 grand later, you win. So I think it's a real concern. And whether it's who knows what the game plan is for a given game, you know, a lot of coaches will script the first 15 plays. I had a coach explain to me once, what happens if I've got up on the board the plays we're going to run to start the game and somebody comes in to empty the trash cans and they see it. How do I know that person doesn't take that information? Call somebody. Sure. And use it. Absolutely. So they need to be concerned about that. They need to be concerned about Tim Donahue type situation where an official goes rogue. There's just a lot of things that I think they need to be concerned about. And I've yet to see the conclusive evidence that they properly are ready to prevent it. Because all it takes is one scandal. You know, the Securities and Exchange Commission didn't come around until five years after the stock market crash of 29. There was nothing before that. No agency in place to regulate the information that was traded and all the stuff that we take for granted now you just can't do, can't talk about it, can't talk about it. It didn't even exist. So it's going to take something like that. And if something like that does happen, there'll be an agency eventually that's got oversight of all professional sports, maybe college sports too. And then you have red tape bureaucracy. You've got all sorts of different realities that are responsible for governing these sports like the NFL that desperately want to govern themselves. One last thing here. We'll let you slide. Give me your perspective on the season that Geno Smith had. I think it was fantastic. It was unexpected. It was a great story. People always ask me, what do you root for? I root for a great story. And there's no greater story than a guy who got drafted into a a difficult spot, had that weird incident where he got punched in the face by IK and Impali over something about you coming to my youth football camp and yeah. didn't refund the, I don't, it was weird. Yeah. Guy sucker punches him and that derails him for, I think it was the 2015 season. And I got to give him credit for sticking with it, staying in the game going wherever he had an opportunity. You know, he was put in that weird spot with the Giants when they benched Eli Manning for him. And in hindsight, you know, there were people who think that that was the right move, but the fan base was so enamored with Eli Manning, it just wasn't given a chance to work. But to finally rise back to a starting role, comeback player of the year, get the big contract now. Now. Uh-oh, here comes the now. Well, no, his contract, three years, $105 million. Oh, well, they're committed to him for three years. And this is one of the things we pride ourselves on. The reporters will put out whatever numbers the agents will tell them without scrutiny, without question. I wait until the contract gets filed. I have somebody send me the numbers. I break it all down. I explain it. And it's like, well, you know what? This deal, one year, $28 million. After that, they can cut the cord. No further obligation. See you later, Gino. And that's relevant because they're holding pick number five in the draft. And somebody I know is convinced that they're taking Anthony Richardson at number five. Now, that would be a hell of a shock if the Seahawks took him at number five, but they're one of those teams, we were talking earlier about ceilings and floors. 
Think about the possibility that team's going to be sold. What better way to ensure that the current football structure stays in place than to roll the dice on somebody who's got superstar potential and next year, next season, as the team's in the process of being sold, they unveil Anthony Richardson and he truly is a superstar. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, coach and GM respectively, they got that job as long as they want, no matter who the owner is, if they find you know a guy who has a Patrick Mahomes type effect on the NFL. So that's what makes me not completely say it's ridiculous. But the point is, the Geno Smith contract, it does have that opening where it could be as little as a one-year deal. And hey, if it's one year, $28 million, good <laughs> for him. Yeah. Who would have That's ever 20, dreamed he'd yeah, make $28 exactly. million for one year? Yeah. And then somebody else will sign him and he'll get a chance to compete and keep playing and be a backup if he, if he doesn't win a starting job. But I, it's, just a, it's a great story, and it just shows you. When, when a guy ends up being a bust, and I'm very passionate about this, we assume it's the guy. Sometimes it is. But a lot of times, it's the circumstance. It's the coaching staff. It's the supporting cast. It's the owner. It's the decision that was made to put him on the field before he was ready to go. You know, Zach Wilson, maybe if he didn't play right away, maybe Zach Wilson would have been better in year two. We don't know. Look at how bad Trevor Lawrence was first year with Urban Meyer as the head coach. And what a disaster. And how he turned it around on the fly in his second year. You have limited opportunities to really get traction in the NFL as a player. And a lot of these guys who end up being busts, yes, part of it is them, but part of it is the people around them not realizing they're not mature enough, they're not ready, we're expecting too much, we don't have enough help. I mean, you know, we, we have a horrible left tackle and the guy doesn't have a chance to set up and throw ever. The stats go on him, but the reality is it's not his fault. I, I just, I, Geno Smith is a great example of hey, you know what, maybe there's an alternate reality out there where he gets drafted in 2013 and he becomes a starter right away and he becomes one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL and it's just a shame it worked out the way it did for him. Yeah. One last, last question. Since it's draft week, you get to draft one current NFL coach. You're, you're starting a team. You just bought a team. It's now the, the, Mike, the fighting Florios. Wow. They're going to operate. They're going to operate out of Flatwood. Flatwood's NFL franchise, probably be sponsored by GoMart. <laughs> go for good times. Go from going. What coach are you hiring? Any available coach, head coach, or current assistant coach? Who's your hire? First and, pick. And I'm trying to win over the long term. I'm trying to build something because see, all the guys that I would want to hire are one trick ponies. Are a little older. They're a little older. No, They're like me. Who do you want? Little gray ghost out there. I. <clears throat> See, all, all the best coaches in the NFL are older, and I think there's a reason for that. It's years and years and years of doing it and like thriving and like proving writing. yourself. You got to learn how to do you it. You got to learn how to do it. You know, these young guys, I don't know. Well, the clock is winding right. With the first pick of yeah. the Mike Florio NFL head coaching draft, Mike Florio selects. I'd probably take Sean Payton. Probably. I'd West, err on West Virginia connection. I'd course. err on the offensive side of the ball because. And I say this every year, and I'm sure there are defensive coaches out there who would just like to slam me into the wall for a variety of reasons. But if you have a defensive head coach and everything goes well with your quarterback, what happens? Offensive coordinator ends up being somebody else's head coach, and you got to find another offensive coordinator to come in and work with your quarterback. And then it happens again. It keeps happening until you get an offensive coordinator who can't get the job done. Yeah, and yeah. the team stinks. And then it's your butt that's on the line. I want a guy that is going to be joined at the hip with the quarterback and be there for 15 years. And I think Peyton right now, 58, 59, 
maybe I'd get 10 or 15 years out of him. So, because like Belichick, how much longer does Belichick really have? I don't know. I don't know. George Hallis coached until he was 75. He stopped because he could no longer get up and down the field to yell at the officials. And he realized at that point, I just, he seriously, he said that. I, he couldn't, he had a bad hip. I can't move. I can't get down. I can't get down to yell at the officials. I just can't do it anymore. But Belichick still moves as well as he needs to. But I, I think that, that I'd probably go. I'm just, I'm trying to think of like a younger guy. Like, you know, get a guy in his early 40s, late 30s. Maybe Kevin O'Connell becomes that guy. I like what he did last year with the, the, the Vikings offense. The defense was horrible, but that's really not his fault. The cupboard was bare. But uh, I'd be intrigued by O'Connell but or Matt LaFleur. I like what Matt, Matt – you know. You changing? I'm changing. Oh, oh, I'm, changing. Oh, I'm changing. Huh? I'm changing. I'm changing. I haven't taken my hand off the checker yet. Okay. I'm going to Matt LaFleur Matt because LaFleur. I know I'm going to have him longer than I'm alive to, to own the team because he found a way to make it work with the delicate genius that is Aaron Rodgers. And they won 13 games for three straight years each year. Last year, it kind of fell off. But for him to be caught in the middle of that awkward, dysfunctional relationship between Rodgers and the front office, to find a way to steer Rodgers in the right direction and get the best out of him at a time when it could have gone either way, I think Lafleur is dramatically underrated. And it's going to be fascinating to see what he does with a different quarterback and whether that team can keep winning games. Because they've done well, even though they don't have a roster that's, that cries out one of the best in the NFL. They still went 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 13 and 4 until last year. And last year they were in a in a game of making it to the playoffs. 6 years from now is the XFL still playing? 6 years from now? I'd have to bet the under on that just because hmm. when has any of these Well, I know, but is this the one? I don't know. I mean, the TV numbers went down this year. Now you've got the XFL and the USFL. Do they merge at some point? I I think that the gambling realities you know we just want more stuff to bet on right we need to have something to bet on i i think that whenever they get to the point in the aaf remember the aaf from four years ago yeah. they have that Hoppy, no, his son was they, his son they, was the correspondent ben was lead correspondent for three weeks by the way we should point out this is the guy that got ben kirchville in the football business of which he's made his livelihood off of oh, that's now, good, good. it worked out well reached out to you you reached out to mike he was at collegefootballtalk.com thank you mike because he's uh, working today for cbs no that's great it's great that it's worked out for him and with the aaf during that three weeks that they were in business they had the great app that had the real-time feedback of where all the players were on the field. And once we get to the point where you can watch a game on the TV at your house and you can make bets on your phone, what's the next play going to be? What's the outcome of the next play going to be? Is it going to be a first down? Is it going to be a pass? Is it going to be a touchdown? Is it going to this guy? Is it going to that guy? Once it becomes like this real-time casino that you can sit down and lock in and bet one play at a time, that's, I think, the next... To answer your question from yeah, 15 minutes you. ago, I'm that's the next frontier, in-game betting. That group better that Jake Paul and Joey Levy are in charge of, and I think they're going to, they're gonna, uh, I think ideally be in West Virginia coming up here later this year. They're at the cutting edge of that, real-time betting. I think that is the thing that could save the XFL and, and you know, make football a 12-month-a-year thing because people are always going to be looking for that, that action, that stuff to bet on. It's going to help, too, when you can hear the quarterback and the coach call the play. <laughs> That's true. That helps. I'm done with my five last questions. The music's on. You're always a delight to have in. You know the door is always open for you. Boy, that sounds sarcastic the way you delivered it. Boy, that was a real delight. 
That was just a real. Oh, tough really? Fight. What? No, actually, I, I do a lot of sarcastic. But no, that was actually true. Yeah, I think it was. Well, I'll, the, I'll come next year when the next book's out. How about that? Yeah. Wow. You, you might want to bring some bread. Book a year next time. You want a little teaser on what the next one's going to be? Yes. You, you already got the music playing, so they're, Dude, they're playing can, us hey, out, can, right? Hey, look, it's, it's like Jim Balvano. We just playing me off. It's a podcast. We do whatever. I can. All I got to do is touch it. It's not live. The book, and and I'm I'm polishing it up now. It is based on the big prison break from 1979, November of 79. Oh, Ron yeah. Wilson, remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a complete reimagining of that with you know different characters, different names, but but the of the 14 that that break out of the prison, four of them end up breaking into a house in the neighborhood where I grew up and me and three composites of my friends end up getting caught up with the group of prisoners that have broken into the house. And it's basically, remember the movie Stand By Me? Yeah. With the Stephen King, it was yeah, called yeah, The Body, yeah, and they yeah, made yeah, it yeah. into the movie with River Phoenix, et cetera. It's Stand By Me on steroids and meth. That's <laughs> that's how I'm selling that one. So that one, I think, is going to be targeted for next year. So I'll, uh, I'll come up when I'm trying to get people to- Working title to, yet? To not buy that one. Working. 30 America Avenue. 30 America Avenue. Which is actually an empty lot on America Avenue, which was right around the corner from where I grew up. So no one can say it's my house. He's basing it on my house. He's based on my family. It's an empty lot that has always been empty. I mean, for 50 years, 30 America Avenue has been an empty lot why is it on haunted? that street. What's why? I don't know. As when we moved in 1969, that lot has always been empty. So that's the one I picked. It's great to have the Google Maps that you can pull up yeah. and you start searching. I was like, hey, there's that empty lot. What's so, the address? 30 yeah. America Avenue. Boom. Sold. So that's kind of like if the thing really gets big and kind of becomes field of dreams-ish. Like Somebody buys will, 30. Maybe I should, maybe you should, I should keep my it, mouth shut. You should said it. Edit this out. Summit vac- yeah. Yeah. That lot. People will make their summer vacation trek to see 30 America yeah. Avenue. Might take our Kirchavail beer money and go get out in front of Florida. Go down to exactly. Ogilvy. Go down to Ogilvy yeah, after them. Play nine. Not trading on 30, 30 America <laughs> Walk. Getting on that. Three guys before the game brought to us by the premier pontoon seller in the state of West Virginia. That's Lou Wendell Marine Sales. Kind of like Mike. They just sell family fun. Visit LouWendellMarineSales.com. That's LouWendellMarineSales.com. Comax Business Systems. Keeping West Virginia's business data safe, secure, and efficient for 25 years and keeping Mike's book titles and all of his content safe and secure. He uses Comax, and if he doesn't, he will. Comax Business Systems. By GoMart, I'll be going through tonight. I'm either either stopping when I go through or stopping when I come back up the road. And might even, you know, I was thinking, you guys always take pictures when you get in there. Yeah, we I do. I might shoot a video. That'd be great. While I'm in there, yeah. post it. Show the selection of Slim Jims and find the uh, Reese Egg selection. Might do that. It'll be pretty good. And by the Burdette Camping Center, the only warranty forever RV dealer in all of West Virginia. <laughs> Mike Florio's so busy. He's, he's got working carpal. Right now. He's, he's working right now trying to find, trying to get some stuff. Trying to find out pick 16 is. Pick 17. <laughs> pick 18. Thanks so much for being with us. All right. Great to be with you. <laughs> Dripping with sincerity there. This is a real this is a real treat. This is a real treat. Best day I ever He's had in my life. He's moved on. He's on. Right up there next to my marriage. Just is a really, really, really good day. All right, he's got to go home and write an encyclopedia. We're it sounded out. like the closing line to Rocky, too. Other than the night my kid was born. <laughs> Boy, this is the greatest day of my life. See, hey, we're Later. Back. Yeah, we're back. Uh, we're going to do the spring football recap and our live event recap on Thursday. See y'all. Be good. Be good.